Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to interrupt our series on Ephesians for a couple of Sundays here and and uh, just take a look at uh, the Christmas story. So look at uh, Matthew chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 16. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, Matthew 2.16, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old and under. According to the time he ascertained from the wise men. And that fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, that a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel was weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. And then when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise and take the child and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. I want us to uh, look this morning... um, at the real Christmas story, the story behind the story, there there was a, I don't know if it was a, like a survey or something taken some some years ago, and they had just asked people on the streets what what uh, what's the Christmas story? What do you think is the Christmas story? And the great majority of them uh, simply responded by uh, talking about the I don't know that is it a comedy the TV. The, uh, the movie, The Christmas Story, where little Ralphie has his uh, BB, wants to get a BB gun. Everybody keeps telling me, don't do it, you'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> well, they, that's the Christmas story, played over and over again at Christmas time. We're in a culture where we're losing the Christmas story. I mean, I don't particularly have anything against little Ralphie getting a BB gun, but that's not the Christmas story. And when you look at this uh, passage in front of us, neither is the Christmas story some quiet little manger scene with lowing cattle and a warm, cozy fireplace with little stockings hanging, stuffed with candy. The Christmas story, when you read it here, Matthew gives us the fullest uh, description of it. It's full of intrigue, politics, and danger, and kings are angry. And their thrones are threatened. And babies are butchered. You see that? He says in verse 16, Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men and he was furious. And he went out and killed all the little baby boys two years old and down in the entire region around Bethlehem. That's the Christmas story? When do we hear that? 
And Matthew says, look, that's part of the whole plan of God that came into fulfillment. Jeremiah predicted this. It's come to its fullness in this event. Just as Jeremiah predicted that Israel, and here he uses a synonym because Rachel was the wife of Jacob who produced the 12 sons and they became the nation of Israel. So he uses this synonym, Rachel, that she is weeping. In other words, the mother, uh, Israel, the mother of all the people. And to get this, you have to go back about 600 years in Jeremiah's day. Um, Verse 18 says, a voice was heard in Ramah, R-A-M-A-H. About 600 years before Christ came, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, came down from the north and captured Jerusalem and rounded up all the Israelites and made slaves out of them and and took them to a city called Ramah. It was the it was the place of deportation. It was the place where you sold the Israelites, the Jewish people that were captured into slavery. So Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, gathered them all to Ramah. And it says that a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, loud lamentation. Because you can just see these mothers 600 years previous to Christ in the Old Testament talks about it and how they are being sold into exile. And he says the fulfillment of it is here when Herod kills all these babies. What is happening in the Old Testament that comes to fullness in the New Testament is this, that people are being exiled from God because of their idolatry and their sins. You get that from the very beginning. In Jeremiah, who predicted this, he says, what has happened here is that God has brought Nebuchadnezzar in as a judgment. And you are leaving the land of Israel. You are being deported. You are being exiled. Because God, in the Old Testament, as opposed to the New, in the Old Testament, God was only in the temple. And to be exiled from the land of Israel and from the temple was to be put out of the presence of God. It was the Adam and Eve sin reproduced. In the Old Testament, they actually took, and this is in Jeremiah 7.30, says they took an idol of some other god and put it inside the house, the temple, that was called by his name. They, they actually stopped worshiping God in the temple and they put an idol in there instead. That's Jeremiah 7.30. And when they would put that idol in there, the, the house that was called by his name, erected by Solomon, the son of David, to worship God, Here the Israelites are worshiping an idol which has no power, it has no mercy, it has no ability to protect them, it has no glory, it has no elevating and dignifying and and sanctifying influence. But here's a dead idol. To put it rather bluntly, it would be like a, a man who comes home to find his wife in his bed with another man. That's what God saw when he saw in his house, the temple, his people with whom he had a covenant in worshiping another idol. 
Does that help you get it in perspective there? Say, oh, this is going to be an interesting sermon today. So far, it's PG-13. But here is, here is the question. When you look at the exile that took place in the Old Testament, you can't just leave God's presence and exclude God and expect no consequences. You can't turn off the light and expect darkness to just behave itself. It's like, okay, we're going to turn off the light, but hey, we're not turning on the dark. Here darkness is intruding. Why is that? I didn't turn on the dark, I just turned off the light. In the absence of God, what we fail to remember is there is the presence of evil. You can't just be neutral. Without God doesn't mean a vacuum. Without God, it means the presence of evil. And it comes in. And what Jeremiah is saying here is that you are being exiled much like Adam and Eve were exiled when when they sinned against God, violated His commandments, they were put out of the garden, they lost the presence of God where they used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And what happened when they were put out of the garden, out of the presence of God? Well, immediately Adam and Eve began to blame each other. Remember what Adam said, this is the woman you gave me, she caused me to eat this fruit. And then their children, Cain and Abel, rose up against each other and killed one another out of jealousy, out of anger. And then you remember how they went out and built a city? Cain went out and built a city. And so what Rama is, is the place of weeping where the full emotional expression takes place. And what Matthew is saying is, if you want to see this in its fullness... Look at Bethlehem where all those babies died. It is the result of an absence of God in the land and it is the reason that Jesus has come. You see, he's putting a stark background so that the light of the gospel comes forward with such clarity and necessity We just don't see Jesus as that necessary and we don't feel a desperation for him. What Jeremiah is doing and what Matthew is doing here in quoting Jeremiah is he's painting the black backdrop so that you can see the necessity of the Christmas story as it really is. I want us to pull back the curtain here a little bit, and there's actually a book in the Bible that does that, um, that tells, it, it gives this same story, but if you wanted to know, like, what is the, what is the, what's going on spiritually in the, behind the scenes, if you could peel back the visible curtain and look into the spiritual realm, What would you see right here? And I want to turn you over. We're going to come back to Matthew 2, but I want to turn you to the book of Revelation, 
chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 for just a minute. Revelation chapter 12. Um, Revelation is not simply about predictions and prophecies, but it's also, it's a revelation not simply of the future, but also of the of what's going on in the invisible realm. Revelation, the, the Greek word, simply means to pull back the curtain so you can see apocalypse, to un- take the lid off, to unveil. And it, and it means to look into, beyond the visible. We're going to look just briefly here. What happened in the spiritual realm at Christmas time? This is pretty, this is pretty intriguing. This is dramatic. But Revelation chapter 12 says um, in verse 1, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And most uh, commentaries will take that as Israel. Uh, she is uh, with child. Um, she was called to be a witness, Isaiah 43.10. That's, that's why she has She's clothed with the sun and the moon and the stars, symbols of your witness going out. Like in Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are a light to the world. Um, And in Genesis 1, it says that the sun, moon, and stars are for signs or symbols. Symbols of what? Symbols of bearing witness, bearing testimony, shining light. Light is always that word which brings truth outward. So here is a woman. And she has all this light, surrounded by light. Faithful Israel. There's always a faithful people of God. So that's the woman. Uh, we can, we'll put these up here as we just take a quick look at them. But then there's another one here, and look at uh, verse 2 and 3. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and giving birth, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Now, who does that symbolize? That one's fairly easy, isn't it? That would be the devil. Do y'all believe in the devil? If you pull back a curtain, you're going to find an evil being in the invisible realm. And he is real. And he does things but he hides behind the visible curtain of flesh. And here's here's what it says about it. He was a great red dragon. He had seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. I don't want to miss the forest for the trees here, so I'm going to skip some of this and just give you the the big points. And verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. That probably indicates the angels which fell with him in their rebellion against God because it also calls them, uh, uh, in verse 7, it calls them the dragon and his angels. So these stars, these beings were his angels that followed him in rebellion. We call them demons today or evil spirits today. And it says in in Revelation 12, 4, that his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven or his cast them down to the earth with him. And he stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So when she 
bore her child, he might devour it. Now, if you go back to, if you go back to Matthew 2, you'll find that that's exactly what Herod was trying to do. He wanted to kill the Christ child as soon as it was born. That's the Christmas story. Jesus is born. Satan wants to kill Jesus. Why? He's a threat to his rule. He's a threat to his kingdom. And then the third thing that you'll see here is in verse 5. And she gave birth to a male child who's to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and the child was caught up to God in his throne. Now, who's the child? If the woman is Israel as personified by Mary, and the dragon is Satan, and he's working through Herod to kill the child, then who's the child? His name is Jesus. That's the Christmas story. But... Jesus lived and died, rose again, and ascended up to heaven. God, John just takes it all, puts it in a capsule, and says, but, he, but uh, he ultimately, Satan couldn't ultimately do anything to Jesus because God put him at the right hand on the throne. And then there's one other one here, and that is that Satan goes out. Verse 7 says, there's the war arose in heaven that is in the invisible realm, in verse 7. And angels fought the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he, that is the dragon, was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. One of the things in the Old Testament you'll find, when you read the Old Testament, you'll find Satan has access to heaven. You ever read Job 1? Job chapter 1? It says that, all the angels of God came before, before the Lord, presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan was among them. He was the accuser of the brothers in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Satan could have access to the throne of God and accuse people like a prosecuting attorney. But in the first century, and get this, in the first century when Jesus was born, a great spiritual invisible battle broke out to try to keep Jesus from ascending back to heaven and interceding for us at the right hand and being representing us at the right hand and His righteousness being before God at the right hand. He's trying to keep Jesus from doing that for us. Not simply to keep Him from dying on the cross to pay for our sins, but to keep Him from rising from the dead and representing us as the full man, perfect man in heaven. And it says a great war broke out. But, verse 8 says, he, Satan, was defeated. And look, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Hallelujah. Satan, as distinct from the Old Testament, can no longer go in the presence of God and accuse you. Uh, he can accuse God to you down here. He can, he can tell you God's not good. Uh, God's not going to help you. God's not interested in you. God doesn't love you. He can accuse God to you. He can even accuse someone else to you and you to yourself. You're no good. You should have born to lose tattooed on your shoulder. 
I mean, you just need to get used to the fact you are a loser. And he can just accuse you to you. And he can accuse the church to you. They don't care about you. They don't pray for you. They don't love you. You're on your own. And he can give all kinds of thoughts to you. But he cannot accuse you to God because he has no access to heaven. That was settled in the first century, and that's the Christmas story. (laughs) That's the first century, and that's the Christmas story. He says, so Satan is so mad. There's a couple of verses here that talk about his... Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, verse 12. Everybody, uh, See, everybody in heaven is so happy, Satan is long, no longer permitted access to heaven. All the angels there, they would come and they would worship God in the Old Testament, and here would be Satan among them. And all the angels are like, I can't stand it. When's God going to do something? And, and have you ever been in, a, in just a wonderful meeting and you got one or two people who are just a problem? And you're like, why did they come? We used to have business meetings over at Bristol Road and we had a, one person, been, she's been gone now for years and years, but man, she was such a pain. And... And uh, she'd get up, she'd question like, who authorized you to purchase this light bulb? Uh, beats me. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminded me of that uh, joke where they, you know, saying what a friend we have in Jesus. And uh, the lady, this lady gets up and she says, uh, I just want you all to know that Jesus led me to this church and now Jesus is leading me away. And one guy stood up and said, could we all stand and sing what a friend we have in Jesus? <laughs> I think the angels were like, could we sing what a friend we have in Jesus after Jesus ascended and Satan lost access to heaven? And he is so mad. Verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you who are in earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you with great wrath. You also see that in verse 17 of Revelation 12. The dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the remainder of her offspring. Now, who's the offspring? The rest of the children, the rest of her offspring her seed, her, the extension of who she is. That is the church of Jesus Christ. See, the church, if you compared it to a tree in Romans 11, the church is a branch of Israel. Christianity is rooted in Judaism. Old, New Testament is based on the foundation of the Old Testament. So that the church is simply an extension, the fullness of Israel. So who is, it says here in Revelation 12, 17, the dragon was furious with the woman, but 
It's the next generation or two. So what does he do? Well, he goes to make war with the rest of her children. So now he's at war with the church. Jesus has escaped him. First century Israel, faithful Israel, Mary, that's, that's first century now. So what is he doing now? He's making war with the church. He's furious. We're, we're recognizing this morning that Christmas time is about evil and what God did about it. We're recognizing that there is an invisible realm that is spiritual and Satan is in that realm, pure evil, and he is mad. We're recognizing this morning that the fullness of the predictions of the sufferings of the exile and being away from God is erupted in the first century with the killing of all those babies. And we're saying this morning that the events on earth often reflect, the historical events of earth often reflect the anger and the chaos in the invisible realm. And we're saying this morning that there is such a thing as pure evil that has no logic to its activity. Do you understand that? There's doesn't have to be explained. It's just evil. At the 10-year anniversary of the Columbine killings, uh, which took place back in 1999, uh, 13 students were killed. Remember this in Colorado? 13 were killed, 24 were wounded. And at the 10-year anniversary, they looked back and they tried to figure out, okay, here's a summary of what happened And here's what we've learned. We've learned that Eric Harris and Dylan Kebold were not loners. They were not terrorists. They had not been bullied. And their enemies that that they had on a list, that list evidently did not exist. And the the names that were floated had all graduated a year earlier. They weren't even in school. Everybody knew it. These people weren't on antidepressant medications. They didn't target jocks or other races or even Christians. Why did they do it? They were evil and possessed of evil. And they wanted to kill people. How's that for a reason? We recognize that there is such a thing as sin and evil and it's in the invisible realm. It erupts on occasion into the visible realm. And in Connecticut, that awful, heartbreaking tragedy this week, it is the residue of the spiritual battle of the first century. Satan is furious. See, here's the way, the di- there's some difference. There's some, but in the invisible realm, spiritual realm, there's no time. You don't have time like we have time. But, and I want to illustrate like this. We have a family. We're trying to help them with a Christmas uh, for their children. Uh, this single mom had saved up money. Uh, money. She has uh, three children. Her neighbor took her in broad daylight to the store 
grocery store about a week ago. And this guy walked up to the window of their car with a gun and said, give me all your money. And the, the guy said, I don't have any money. And the woman, the, this person we're trying to help for Christmas here, uh, she said, uh, here, here's my pocketbook and billfold and all that I've got. He said, I don't have any money. And he took what he could get, took his gun, pointed at the guy and shot him sitting in the driver's seat. He didn't have to shoot him. He got all he could get. Why did he then shoot him? Pure anger and evil. When Satan couldn't get to Christ, when he was defeated and cast out of heaven, he is angry. He is furious. And you combine spiritual fury with pure evil and you have illogical and inexplicable tragedies. And I want to tell you, I do not blame God for the killing of children. I do believe there is evil. And I do believe it is at war with us and we ought to recognize it and fight back. I don't think the solution is getting everybody's gun and putting it in Washington. In fact, I think the solution might be give everybody a gun. <laughs> hey, hey, man, am I getting a witness on that? All right. Well, let me, let me just put this together. I'll capsulize it with three quick statements. Number one is, I think this explains the war, the war talked about on Christmas. Against Christmas, what in the world is going on in people's minds that a nativity scene seems to be a threat to freedom? It is the same thing that Herod felt when they... Here's a little baby who's born. He's the king. He feels threatened because... Jesus is the king, and give him a place at the table, and he'll win every time. And they know it. So they have to get rid of him. But Revelation 12.10 says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Peter Hitchens, in his book on the atheism in Russia called Rage Against God, he spent six years in Moscow in the early 1990s. And he, he talks about how that when the, when the communists came for the church, it says they first confiscated church bells. They had to stop the call to worship. That reminds everybody it's Sunday morning. Then they began to take away the religious symbols and banned them from all public buildings. Any priest or pastor was portrayed as a criminal or a crazy person 
you know, watch TV. You ever see a you ever see a sensible, reasonable pastor on television? They're always Looney Tunes. I've never met some some of the people like that that they put on TV. I want to tell you, there are some very reasonable pastors. I, however, am not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure they're out there. But he goes on to say, as I've recovered from my splash of lunacy, he goes on to say that they take away church bells, religious symbols, portrayed all pastors as criminal or crazy, and to his surprise, he said Christmas trees were confiscated. You don't want Christmas trees. It makes little children think about Jesus. And it evokes positive thoughts about religion. They made a law in atheistic Russia, no Christmas trees. And what do we got today? You find, now it's holiday trees. We don't want to call it Christmas trees. That's the step downward on the slippery slope. Why? What's the problem? I hold, if if Revelation 12 is pulling back the curtain, I think there's a war going on. It's a spiritual battle. And it erupts on occasion into these tragedies that we see where Satan has no rhyme or reason. He's just mad and he kills people. Here's a This thing not only helps explain the war on Christmas, but I think this also helps comfort the Christian with the promise of victory. Notice in this story, it is fulfilled what Jeremiah predicted. Don't miss this, because that means this didn't take God to catch him off guard. God wasn't shocked. In fact, it was part of God's overarching purpose. It was woven into the fabric of his purposes for humanity to redeem and bless them. Now, leave those kind of things with the mystery and wisdom and goodness of God. And don't try to explain them, just leave them with God. But know they are not outside the parameters of His great sovereignty. It is fulfilled what God predicted hundreds of years ago. Nothing tragic takes God by surprise. Isaiah 7 said Jesus would be born of a virgin. Micah 5, 2 said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 53, 2 said he would, be, he would have no particular beauty or comeliness that people would be drawn to him. Isaiah 53, 6 says he would be despised and rejected by men, and, but he would be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah 53, 9 said he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, and Jeremiah said that when it happened, there'd be a lot of babies killed. There's all those prophecies. It does not prove God is untrue. It proves God is true. 
It should comfort the Christian. And then a third thing this should do is it should invite and encourage us to come to Christ and flee to Him for safety. Because there's this evil world in the invisible realm. If God said it is so desperate, it is so awful and so wicked, and it will get worse in many places, what I have to do now is I have to send my only son to bear their sins, to confront the enemy head on and win the battle for him at the cross. That's how bad it was. Christmas story is about how bad sin is and how much it costs God. And so therefore, how do we celebrate Christmas if we do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ? So it should invite us to come to Christ. Psalm 31.3 says, You are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. You will keep me out of the snare they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Walk with God, you and your family, and be safe.